my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God, faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor David Butcher, lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. We're broadcasting from the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you this afternoon, so please don't turn your dial to any other station. You will enjoy the program that we have for you. This week and next, we're taking as our theme 10 big questions about spiritual revival, and today we ask the question... Is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? Today, this week, and next week, our co-host is Lindy Spearing. Lindy is our prayer ministries leader for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. Welcome, Lindy. Hello, David, and thank you for your lovely welcome. Now, you and I have a a little uh, history together, but I want to ask you a question for our listeners to to hear the answer on, Lindy. You and your husband, Glenn, uh, were happily living in the great state of Victoria, happily living in the great state of Victoria you were. Um, you were working in a chaplaincy role. You had no visible external reason to move to South Australia. So why did you move here? That's a very good question, David, and I've got an answer for you. Some years back, my husband and I did visit South Australia on a holiday, and of a recent times, I started to feel this great love for South Australia. It just kept coming back to my mind, South Australia, South Australia. And my husband had a company, a business he was working, and I was a chaplain, as you said, in aged care. So we we're both very secure, and we felt very convicted that the Lord wanted us to give away a lot of our things, close down my husband's business, re- resign from my position as a chaplain, and move to South Australia. So you had a home, you had stable employment, you had a, a great church family, a wonderful circle of friends, your your, your son uh, living in Melbourne, yes. and yet you had this inkling, this impression, this from God. Yes, definitely from God, because I remember at one point when made a decision that or we made the decision and we were very prayerful about it that we would come to South Australia but I said to the Lord but what about my parents what about my son and this scripture came to mind he who loves mother or father or brother or sister more than me is not worthy of me and not only did that scripture come to mind but the Lord's promise that he would care for my parents, care for my son, care for my family. And so even though when the Lord asks you to do something, it can be a bit scary to step out in faith, but we are so glad that we did. So maybe not as monumental as Abram and, and Sarai um, leaving where they did to a land that God didn't um, didn't tell them about. He just said, I'll take you to a land I'll show you. Um, but you came here, I remember you phoning me up um, prior to you coming, saying you were looking to buy a house, and I'm sort of thinking, Lindy, you know, I don't know if there's any employment, no job prospects for you. Um, you know, it sounded like you were making a real permanent thing. Yes, and I we felt really convicted about this, David, and in the end, as you know, I was offered a two-day-a-week, one-year contract. That was all that was available at that time. And yet we felt convicted that we had to come and buy a home. My husband's story of finding the home was miraculous. And every part of it, we could see God leading. And once you step out in faith, it can be scary, but once you step out in faith, 
It's amazing what God will do and how he will put everything together in a pattern and manner that makes you feel safe and secure in him. And then, of course, what happens? Other roles opened up for both my husband and I. We found a home. We moved here. And really, South Australia, Adelaide's not that far from Melbourne. I've got to cut in there because Melbourne's a great place, as is the rest of Australia. <laughs> but, uh, Lindy, let's go to our, our World Watch segment and... Um, yeah, I came across this particular article on the Eternity website, Eternity News, uh, and it's entitled Charismatics Issue Prophetic Standards to Address False Trump Prophecies. And this was uh, uh, written by Julia Dewan on May 1st of this year, so only four days ago. And I'll just pull out some of the, the items in this article. After an embarrassing number of wrong prophecies and bungled predictions about the 2020 U.S. election, a group of charismatic Christian leaders have released a four-page statement of prophetic standards to help correct abuses in the movement. The statement released April 29 on the newly created propheticstandards.com website is the work of 85 Christian ministry heads, preachers, academics, denominational officials, authors, revivalists, evangelists, and other participants in what's being called the prophetic movement, a subset of Pentecostal Christianity. Their signatures are attached. The movement came into much disrepute in recent months after scores of prophets incorrectly prophesied that former President Donald Trump would win a second term. While failing to prophesy major events such as COVID-19 and the storming of the US Capitol, a handful that later apologised for the false prophecies said they received thousands of angry emails and in the case of North Carolina's Jeremiah Johnson, death threats. It's a good document and I support everything included in it, wrote the Reverend Lauren Sanford, a Denver pastor who later, who last year prophesied a 2020 Trump victory, then apologised when he got it wrong. Further on, the article says that the heart of the statement is a call for all who've made false prophecies to publicly apologise. If someone issues a public prophecy with specific details and dates that can be easily proved or disproved, and that word does not come to pass as prophesied, the one who delivered the word must be willing to take full responsibility, demonstrating genuine contrition before God and the people, the statement says. If the word was delivered publicly, then a public apology and or explanation or clarification should be presented, it continues. This is not meant to be a punishment, but rather a mature act of love to protect the honor of the Lord, the integrity of prophetic ministry, and the faith of those to whom the word was given. The statement also calls for prophets to have their prophecies, listen to this, to have their prophecies evaluated by peers in the movement, adding those refusing such accountability should not be welcomed for ministry. So, Lindy, your, your thoughts on this, of hearing this? Well, I always want to go by what the Word of God says. You know, during this upheaval, political upheaval in America, and there were many prophecies about many different things that didn't come to pass, I like to always go back to the Word of God, David, and see what the Word of God says. And in Deuteronomy 18... Verses 21 to 22, it says this, And if you say in your heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? And it seems that the Lord did not speak through some of these prophets. When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing, 
the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. Now, obviously, some of these prophecies were events or things that were going to happen that people would be afraid of. We're talking about that Donald Trump did not get back into into leadership and that this man had to apologize or he felt he had to apologize. I think prophets, prophecies need to be weighed up by the word of God because he's the only one who knows the future. A hundred percent has to be backed by scripture, doesn't it? The article goes on. There are more than 200 prophetic networks in the U.S. and Canada, most of them encompassing less than a dozen prophets, according to J. Gordon Melton, professor of American religious history at Baylor University and a longtime observer of the movement. Allowing for overlap, the total number of prophets numbers in the thousands, many of whom live in the state of Texas. So you've got potentially thousands of prophets in the state of Texas, um, probably um, uh, 200 prophetic networks, um, you know, media networks, etc. It seems to me that uh, prophets that would spend so much time focusing on um, uh, an election outcome, mm. you've got to wonder what's behind that, don't you? Absolutely, and there's possibly some political and economic reasons behind these prophecies as well. Look, that's true, and, and it's interesting that this document... Um, a prophetic standards document that has been signed by uh, about 80 or 90 uh, charismatic leaders. Uh, what brought it about was because uh, the charismatic movement was being brought into disrepute by all these prophecies that were made and, and many of them that did not come to pass. And uh, They tried to rein it in though, didn't they? They tried to set up some policies or, or guidelines or rules, but many of the... the Religious leaders of today that are well known, like Cindy Jacobs and and others, would not sign that document. Yeah, Ken Copeland Ken hasn't Copeland. signed the document. Mm-hmm. Uh, some haven't responded, and I guess it's all come down to they say. And this is uh, from an Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. He's um, uh, tied to the Coalition of Apostolic Leaders. He says we've heard from many pastors saying, "How do we clean up this mess?" He said it also gives guidelines for all believers to test what they're hearing on the internet and TV. Hopefully, if the body of Christ can be more discerning, there can be less of a market for error. So here are people within the movement concerned about uh, the veracity of some of these predictions and and things that are being made. Now, I don't know about you, but um, when I look at uh, the role of a prophet, is it a role that you would desire, Lindy? Absolutely not. And and why? Well, I think of some of the prophets in the Bible, even like John, he was beheaded, wasn't he? He was, yeah. A lot of his prophecies were telling people to repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think of other prophets who who were asked to walk around naked for a year and other prophets who were told to go and marry a prostitute. You know, God had lots of different people that he called to be prophets that weren't just to speak about the future, but were to speak into people's lives truths and to challenge people to turn back to God. So not everyone wants to hear that, David. You're going to cop some flack. So you've hit on something really, really um, important here. You know, it mentioned that uh, there were thousands of prophets in America, uh, North America, many thousands in the Lone Star State of Texas which seems a little bit odd to have so many in one region. It's a huge state. We know it's the Bible Belt. 
But um, being able to predict or prophesy about a U.S. election outcome, that would gain you a lot of media attention, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Being a prophet, though, and calling Christians back to the Word of God to repent and to to um, seek the Lord while he can be found, um, that doesn't seem to be quite as um, uh, newsworthy. It doesn't. It's not as sensational, is it? Doesn't sound like it's as lucrative either. And that's very true. And so as I look at Scripture and the role of a prophet, as you've so well said, uh, the role of a prophet is nothing to put your hand up uh, because if you put your hand up to be a prophet, that's not from God, right? The prophet is a spokesperson, a mouthpiece for God to to share the word of God as God gives it. Uh, it wasn't desired. I mean, many of these prophets, Jeremiah was known as the, the lamenting prophet, the weeping prophet. Um, as you said, um, uh, Isaiah had to run around naked. Uh, Ezekiel had to lay on his side on the footpath for hundreds of days. You know what I mean? To 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 demonstrate something. So the key thing you said as well is one of the critical roles of a biblical prophet was not to foretell the future. That's what gets us all excited. And that was certainly part of a prophetic role, to foretell the future that God would give them, to tell of things to come. But the key role of the prophet as we look through Scripture was to call God's people back to him, Amen. to call them back to true worship. And so here we have uh, these uh, uh, charismatic uh, prophets being called into question not only by people outside of Christendom and their faith, but also from within. Yes. Uh, they're wanting a standard. They're wanting messages that uh, that prophets give to be uh, peer-reviewed. What do you think about that? I don't think it's going to work because a true prophet is one that is called by God, not someone self-appointed, but Someone who is called by God and given supernatural words that uplift, that encourage, that call back, that point to God. And they're there to uplift Christ, aren't they? Not Amen. themselves. Amen. If the supposed self-called prophet is uplifting themselves, lining their pockets, uh, making all sorts of weird and wacky predictions which don't come to pass, if they're not uplifting Christ, then we really do need to call into question the veracity of them as a prophet. We're now going to uh, have a little change. We're going to go to some music. We're going to be listening to Catherine Scott, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Catherine Scott. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the But love 
say about the end of the world. Faith FM's free offer today is the final events of Bible Prophecy DVD. Exploring what the Bible says about the future and other topics you've heard of, like the rapture, the second coming, and many more. This DVD is available in several languages, including Mandarin, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. To get your free final events DVD, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with Pastor David Today, our co-host is Lindy Sperring. Lindy is the prayer ministries leader in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. This week and next, our theme is 10 Big Questions About Spiritual Revival. And today we ask the all-important question, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? Now, Lindy, you and I have uh, worked in a church together. Um, I'm a pastor. You're, you've, uh, you're working in ministry as well. Uh, you're talking about a, a, a book this week, aren't you? You're re- referencing a particular book. Do you want to share with us what the book is and how we can access it? Yes, the book's called Steps to Personal Revival. It's written by Helmut Horbel, who's a German pastor. And the book is available if you go to your Google and just type in steps to personal revival dot, dot info. You'll be able to download the ebook to your computer, which is a great way to have this book. This book is amazing. This book has gone right across the world and transformed lives. And so I recommend that you go to your Google website, type in steps to personalrevival.info, download the ebook, and you'll be able to read this amazing book. One of the things I like about this book is it's not too big and, uh, in my current capacity as lead pastor of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia, when I arrived here, I provided this book, hard copy, to all of our pastors and also to church leaders. And it is a life-changing book, a life-changing book. So our topic today is, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? And I'm wondering with our listeners, uh, we'd like to hear from you on this. Is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church, you can text us on 0488-880-811. Is there a cause, is there a spiritual cause to problems in the church? So, Lindy, this sounds like an oxymoron. Now, for anyone that's involved in ministry, either in a full-time capacity or just as a church member active, we know there are problems in the church. Are the roots to those problems spiritual? So, Lindy, take us away on the study of the Word in this. Well, before I start, let me just say to you, I've been involved in the church since I was a child. And when I was growing up in the church, I had great expectations of the church and the church people. I imagined that the church folk would all be Christian and loving and accommodating and thoughtful and caring all the time, 100% of the time. But my experience didn't add up to my expectations. And I think sometimes in the church, this can happen. 
So what is it that we are looking at when we join a church but we don't find what we think we should be finding? What are we looking at? And I really like how Paul talks in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, about three basic attitudes that we can have towards God. One of the first attitudes can be what we term the natural man. Now, the natural man is just the man out in the streets who perhaps rarely thinks about God, who wouldn't normally go to church, perhaps for a particular event. They might go for Easter or Christmas or perhaps not even then. The natural man rarely reflects or prays or considers God in any part of his life. Okay, so Lindy... Let's, um, the natural man, it doesn't have to just be a man, does it? The natural person, but the, the scripture says man. The natural man is essentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, is essentially a non-believer or a non-churchgoer. That's someone that right. doesn't, someone that doesn't, uh, state that they have a relationship with God. That's right. A, a non-Christian, that person, when I say natural man, because the Bible uses that word man to encompass male and female. So it's a person, who rarely thinks about God, who wouldn't perhaps call themselves a Christian and wouldn't attend church. But there are other attitudes that Paul talks about, and he talks about the spiritual person in the church. And the spiritual person is different to the natural man, and then we'll talk about a third man. But there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 2.14 that says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. So even if the natural man hears something about the Word of God or hears something about God, they may not discern and they may think it's foolishness because the Word of God and the understanding of the Scriptures is spiritually Discerned. So what we're saying here is the Bible is is well, it's the living word, isn't it? It's it's the written word of God coming from the living word Jesus Christ, and so this is not like any other book. And what you've said there, Lindy, is so true. In society today, in secular society, the Bible and what the Bible says, what is written in it, and Christians that advocate it and preach it. By some people are often frowned upon, you're a bit wacky, that's out of date, etc. So to the natural man or to the person that uh, would say, look, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe in God, this is the natural man, correct? Yes. And to the natural person, this just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense because it's spiritually discerned and you're, you need to have that spiritual relationship with God. So that's the, the full real relationship. The Bible calls this person spiritual. It's a, it's a different attitude towards God. But what I discovered in the church is that there is another type of person in the church called flesh or carnal, according to Paul. And I think for many years, David, I was operating in the flesh or carnal aspect of trying to be a Christian. And so what does that mean? What does that look like? It really means that I'm trying to be a Christian in my own strength. I might attend church and do all the right things and participate in the, in the programs. 
I might pray, I might lead out in church. So this is all good though, what you're sharing with me, isn't it? It sounds good. It sounds good. But many carnal Christians feel dissatisfied with their relationship. They feel disappointed. They feel that it's a constant struggle and effort in their spiritual life, even to like we talked about this week about getting up early. It's, it's so difficult sometimes to put that time aside for the Lord. And sometimes we as fleshy, carnal Christians, we're, we're so used to the way that we are, we might say something like, oh, I'm just a sinner, I can't do anything about it. We just accept, you know, what's that expression nowadays? You know, it is what it is and we can't change yep, it. Yep. But... The exciting part of what Paul talks about is it doesn't have to be what it is. It can be totally and utterly different. Okay, so let's just back up a bit. You've mentioned uh, three different categories that the Bible and, and that Paul talks about here. The first one is the natural man. And the natural man, um, you know, I think you, you mentioned First Corinthians chapter 2. Um, and it's interesting there, verse 13, it says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. So we have um, the mention of the Holy Spirit here. The Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually concerned. So, discerned. So, we have reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit yes. teaches yes. Um, comparing spiritual things. So you have the natural man, I think you've said, which has um, no cognizance, does not accept God, does not believe in God. Um, they don't understand spiritual things. Then you have the category which you mentioned, the spiritual man or the spiritual person, and they are again... Well, the spiritual person is operating with the Holy Spirit and they are able to spiritually discern the word of God. It's not foolishness to him, to them. It is clearer to them. And if you go on from in those scriptures, it says this, For he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. In other words, what it's saying is, it is able to, the spiritual person can understand the word of God. And then it says, which is the key to the spiritual person, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So those who are spiritual, those who are walking with the Holy Spirit, have Christ living in them, the hope of glory, and they understand spiritual things more. Okay, so a spiritual person, you've said, has the mind of Christ. Now, we have our own minds, right? But we have, the spiritual person has the mind of Christ. It reminds me of Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where Paul says, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's so right. something takes place in that spiritual person, correct? That's right. But now, though, you're talking about something quite serious, the carnal Christian. The flesh or the carnal Christian. And it is serious. It is very serious. It is serious because what has happened and has happened in the church, and I think there's possibly people listening today that have experienced sad and unhappy times in the church by people 
who are perhaps have made a commitment to God, who may have been baptized and joined the church, but are still operating in their own flesh to try to overcome sin and to be a Christian type person. I say this because that's what it was like for me, David. Mm. I actually called myself a pew polishing hypocrite. Okay, so Lindy was, hopefully not is, a pew polishing polishing hypocrite. hypocrite. Because I was sitting in the pews, I was trying to be what I thought God wanted me to be in my own strength, and I was hurting myself, hurting others, and I was also definitely discrediting the Lord. It was almost like I was taking the name of the Lord in vain. So we can be... An active church member. Yes. We can be faithful with our tithes and offerings. Yes. Offerings. We can dress the right way. We can say the right things. We can be a discredit to God. Yes. Wow. And I know because there were times when growing up in the church that I was very, very hurt by other people. And I saw people, and I mentioned this just recently, I saw people talking about my mum standing beside me and putting her down and judging her and and resentment filled my heart at that time. And so it was some years before I understood I cannot look to the church members because we are all sinners in need of a saviour. But within the church, there are some people who are carnal, who are flesh, who are operating in their own flesh to be the Christian that they think they should be. Okay, so the Bible says we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. Yes. When we accept Jesus Christ, when we surrender, when we say, I don't want to be the one in charge of my life, I want you to come in and clean me up, we have that conversion experience. Is that correct? We invite God into our lives to take control. That is, Is that when we're given this new mind? Well, in Romans 12.1, and you referred to Romans, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Sometimes we don't want to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Sometimes we don't want to surrender everything that we hold dear to somebody or something else. Sometimes we think that we've got it all covered. When we grow up, we are taught to achieve, to learn, to to be able to um, manage things in life. And that's the way we think, that we should be able to manage ourselves and to do everything ourselves. But we can't in the spiritual realm. No, we can't. And, and yet society teaches us, doesn't it, right from our education to be independent, to be self-sufficient, to not be dependent on anyone or anything, particularly something that is uh, we can't see. And yet what you read in Romans 12 where Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and, and present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to sacrifice actually costs something. It hurts. It's inconvenient. And so as a Christian or as someone that can come to God and I can have that rebirth experience, that that experience where I give everything to God and I come into a church all excited, uh, I want to follow the Lord, it, it's all new, it's all fresh. After a while things can happen, as you've said, can't they? And I either take my eyes off Christ, and you'll probably unpack that shortly, 
or I look at others, I get discouraged, or I think I'm doing okay because I look at other people in the church and I think, wow, that person's a hypocrite. Look at them. Look what they do. I'm not too bad. (laughs) And this process, I I lose sight of God. And I think Paul, is it in 1 Corinthians 3, um, he he talks about this. And, And correct me if I'm wrong, Lindy. He says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, another of Apollos, are you not carnal? David, this describes many of our churches. In many the Christian ways. church, yeah. The Christian church, because people are having problems. There are divisions. There is envy. There is strife. And it's because that they are looking to others. Like he says, I am of Paul and I am of Paulus. Who should we be looking to in all things? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Not to our pastors, not to our leaders, not to others. We shouldn't be judging what others are doing. In fact, if somebody's doing something they shouldn't be doing, we then have a responsibility as spiritual Christians, if we call ourselves that, to pray for them, to bless them, to uphold them, not to be critical of them. Morris Venden said this, and I really like it, there is no such thing as a partial surrender. It's no more possible to be partially surrendered than it's possible to be, be a little bit pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. And I think that's so true. There's no middle ground. No halfway house. No halfway house. You are either surrendered to the Lord, he is Lord of your life, you are trusting in him in everything, or you are carnal. And I'm sure we've all heard stories, uh, anyone that's been in church, about people that came in on fire for the Lord and, and gave their heart to God and got fully engaged. And then over a period of time, sometimes very short, there's this pendulum swing. Uh, discouragement sets in or they swing straight out of the church again. Yes. And perhaps maybe this may come down to this sometimes this carnal attitude, this carnal Christian. So explain what carnal is then, a carnal Christian. Well, I think a carnal Christian is somebody who is trying to overcome sin and trying to live often culturally as a Christian without surrendering that nature, that part of ourselves that the enemy can uh, tempt us and operate through without surrendering it to God. And it's that surrender part that is is a challenge. Yes, we can get baptized, we can go to church, we might even start out really strong for the Lord, and then we start taking our eyes off him like Peter did when he was walking on the water. I was just thinking about Peter, yeah. <laughs> and he started to sink, and I know I started to sink. And it says for those who are carnal, there's jealousy and quarreling among you. And that can happen, and that is not how God wants us to be. So, essentially, we become carnal when we haven't, when we've that connection with Jesus, that relationship connection has 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 withered. It hasn't been, hasn't flourished. We're trying to do, we're trying to be a Christian in our own strength. Yes. Rather than, as we said earlier, rather than sacrificing, giving up autonomy of ourselves and yielding it to God, saying, look, God, 
I'm sick of doing it on my own. You take over. And, and, and really what? Just fully giving everything to God. Look, I think the carnal person wants to follow Jesus and please him, but they haven't surrendered their whole life to Jesus. Or if they have, they've backslidden somehow. And we know that we can sometimes backslide. Maybe unconsciously we want to live according to God's will, but we want our own wishes as well. What happens to a carnal Christian? I think they become discouraged. I think many people in that area struggle personally, professionally. I think many actually then leave the church because they don't find what they really want. And, you know, I I do a call out to those people who might be listening who've stopped going to church. Come back. Come back. Don't look to the people. And the ones that you do look to and you're discouraged about, start praying for them and look to Jesus in all things. So don't do Christianity in your own strength because it never works and it will always end up on the rocks. I tried in my own strength and I tried really hard, David. I really, my parents had broken up. They'd left the church. I was the only one in the family staying in the church. I tried so hard to be a good Christian and I failed. And I kept failing until I found the key and understood that Jesus is knocking at the door. He's knocking because he wanted to come in. Lindy, that's an incredible thought. I want you to hold that. We're going to come back to that in a minute. We're going to shortly go to some music. But what you've hit on there is really, really important. So hold that thought. Stick with us. But we're now going to go to a song. It's by Sailor, Into My Heart, Fairest Lord Jesus. Into my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today, come in.
Bible say about the end of the world? Faith FM's free offer today is the final events of Bible Prophecy DVD. Exploring what the Bible says about the future and other topics you've heard of, like the rapture, the second coming, and many more. This DVD is available in several languages, including Mandarin, French, Spanish, and Portuguese. To get your free final events DVD, go to faithfm.com.au forward slash offers or call us on 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's 1-800-324-843. That is a wonderful DVD, The Final Events of Bible Prophecy. I would strongly encourage you to contact us for that free resource, Final Events of Bible Prophecy. Lindy, we're looking at a particular book. I'm David Butcher. We're, we're, I'm with uh, Lindy Sperring, the Prayer Ministries uh, Leader for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in South Australia. We're looking at the topic, Is There a Spiritual Cause to Problems in the Church? Lindy, you've made reference to a book. This book can be accessed on the internet. What's it called? How do we get it? The book's called Steps to Personal Revival by Helmut Horbel. Now, the best way to get this book is to go online, type in steps to personal revival.info. You'll see it come up if you scroll down a little bit. Go onto that website and scroll down to download the ebook. There's a few different languages. You can download it to your device, to your computer, and then you've got it to read. It's a fantastic book. It's a life-transforming book, Steps to Personal Revival. Now, some of our listeners have... Uh Texted us in on our zero four double eight double eight oh double eight double one zero four double eight double eight oh eight double one. They've texted messages into us asking for that book, but as you've just said, that can be accessed, and we'd ask them to access that for free off the website you've given. Give us that website again, Lindy. Yes, you just type in steps to personal revival dot info, and you can download the ebook. But use our text number for any questions you may have. Zero four double eight double eight zero eight double one. Lindy, take us away again. Look, this topic is huge and it's amazing. And I just wanted to share a little bit about the parable of the ten virgins. It's really important that we consider this parable. Because I don't know about you, I don't want to be a foolish virgin. I don't want to be a goat. I don't want to miss out on seeing Jesus. And the the amazing thing about this parable is that all 10 of these were virgins. So Matthew 25, we're talking. Yes, all 10 were virgins. All had pure biblical beliefs. So these people are all churchgoers. They all had lamps. They all had the Bible. They all went out to meet the bridegroom. They were all looking forward to the second coming of Jesus. All of them went to sleep. All heard the call and woke up. They all prepared their lamps. All the lamps were burning and half of them noticed that their lamps were going out. Okay, so let's stop there, Lindy. Jesus tells this story uh, uh, about his return, I guess, doesn't he? Yes. And uh, and these uh, virgins, these women, represent uh, the Christian church. That's right. They all look the same, don't they? Yes. They all sound the same. They're all waiting for the return of Jesus. They believe in it. They all fall asleep. There is no discernible difference really at this point, is there, until when? No discernible difference. But what keeps the lamps burning? It's the oil, isn't it? It's What's the, the oil, Lindy? It's the oil and energy was being used. when they're, But for five of them, their lamps were still going, but for five, their lamps were going out. The lamps of the foolish virgins only burned for a short time because they didn't have something 
from the Holy Spirit. There was too little oil. As you look at that parable, that is the only difference between the wise and foolish virgins. Some had enough oil, some had oil, but not enough. So some had um, had a living experience with the Holy Spirit, infilled with the Holy Spirit, and others were probably living on, ex- on an experience they'd had some time ago. That's right. I imagine that all of these church people were baptized. They all had were born again. They all believed. They all believed. They were all looking forward to Jesus coming. But half of them didn't have enough of the Holy Spirit. And when we have the Holy Spirit in us, in a powerful everyday way, Jesus is living in us. And Jesus says, I do not know you to five of the virgins. I do not know you. They were too late in attending to the oil, the Holy Spirit. The door remained closed. And that makes me feel really sad, David, to think that here are these church people who think that they're in the right place and they haven't recognized that without the Holy Spirit every day surrendering every part of themselves, they could miss out. Some of the the saddest words, I never knew you. I never knew you. So the Holy Spirit is the key, the oil. Mm-hmm. And I guess the we can only have the Holy Spirit if we're in a relationship. When Jesus says, I never knew you, depart from me, I never knew you, he's really saying, I don't, I'm not in a relationship. You're not in a relationship with me. It's very sad. In 1 John 3, 24, it says, And by this we know that he, Jesus, abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. And we talked about this abiding with the Spirit last night. We talked about every day asking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, you might remember the Welsh revival in the early 1900s. And it was sparked by a young man called Evan Roberts who waited and prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He waited and prayed for 13 years. He prayed for the Spirit. He always faithfully went to the prayer meetings. He remembered to be faithful. Like sometimes his friends during his teenage years would be going off fishing and having fun, but he kept going to those meetings. He didn't want to miss out on the Holy Spirit. And of course, the rest is history. There was a massive revival in Wales and it spread across the world, the Welsh revival. And so I think, David, here is the key. Prayer, prayer, and more prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to live in you every day and ask for the Holy Spirit to give you an even greater desire for him, an even greater desire for Jesus to live in us. So it's looking to Jesus um asking him to be part of our life. It's about forming a friendship, is it not? Yes. And not only forming that relationship with Jesus, but as you've importantly highlighted on, how, how do we get the Holy Spirit? We have to ask. We have to ask. And when you said before, David, about Jesus saying, I do not know you, that word know in the Bible in the Old Testament is an intimate knowing. In fact, when they talked about a man and a woman coming together as one in, in intimacy, in, in intimacy in of knowing, in a yes, sexual yeah. relationship, it's the same intimacy but in a different way between us and Jesus. It's an intimate relationship where we are joined with him. He is living in us. It, it's a spiritually discerned topic, of course. But when he lives in us, he lives out of us. 
and we do what he would do and we react like he would react and we overcome sin the way Jesus did. So we can be transformed from a carnal Christian fighting in our own strength, yes. looking like a Christian but not having the, the oil, the Holy Spirit in our life because we're not in a living connection with Jesus Christ. Right. So the, the transformation is, as you've said, I'll get you to say it again. It's through asking for the baptism or asking every day for the Holy Spirit to live in us because that's the way Christ lives in us. That's the way we are overcomers. That's the difference. Before, I was carnal. Now I've asked God for, to fill me so that I am spiritually responding. I'm living with the Holy Spirit. And you're no longer operating in your own strength. It's such a relief, David, because you put off this heavy burden of trying to overcome and be what everybody thinks a Christian should be in your own strength. You cannot be. And you cannot love others in your own strength like God wants you to love them without the Holy Spirit living in us. Because that's a workspace Christianity, isn't it? Now, right. I know, Lindy, that uh, you are someone that has lived this and experienced this from both sides, haven't you, as yes. you've said? Yes. And I'm sure over the next uh, couple of uh, weeks, this week and next, you will delve into that and draw from your story even more of the things that you've heard. So if you were to sum up the most important thing, what's the most important thing as you see it? We need to recognize our great need. We need to recognize that we need the Holy Spirit. And then we need to ask, in Romans 8 9, it says, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. I want to be his. I want to belong to Jesus Christ. I want to see Jesus coming in the clouds and, and meet him and talk with him. And it's when I came to understand that I could not do that without the Holy Spirit Everything in my life changed. Because the Holy Spirit was the greatest gift. That was the promise of the Father in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, we're promised the Holy Spirit as, as the gift. The comforter. The comforter, to be with us forever. And as we ask and invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit's indwelling in our heart and our life. That's right. Lindy, this is a, a really powerful topic. and. Um, we, we, our time is drawing to a close. So thank you for what you've shared. We really look forward to what you will share tomorrow and, and next week. But I know that there are probably people out there listening to this that are trying to do this Christian thing in their own strength. And, and that is a struggle. And ultimately it ends in defeat unless we fully give ourselves to Jesus Christ, surrender and invite him into our lives. So let's pray for those that are listening today. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you that you are a living God. You are the creator God and the recreator. You promise to dwell in us through the gift of the Holy Spirit. There is no salvation in our own ability, Lord. We cannot bring anything to the relationship but to give ourselves as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice fully to you. Lord, be with those who are listening. Be with those who are struggling, Lord, who have tried Christianity and it just doesn't seem to work. Lord, I pray that in our brokenness we will call out to you. We will ask you to empty ourselves, uh, come in and clean us out and give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is our prayer, Lord, for each and every person listening. We thank you that you do not leave us without the help of the Holy Spirit who guides and leads us into all truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining Pastor David and Lindy Sperring on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Helen Gray and Lindy Sperring spend the entire time discussing how does Christ illustrate carnal Christianity. That's tomorrow afternoon. Really looking forward to joining with you then and you hearing and listening to the program. But until then, please remember Christ said, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May God richly bless you. And as we conclude our program, we'll be listening to Eddie Espinosa, Change My Heart, O God. Change my heart, O God. Make it ever true.